Hey gang, welcome back to another episode of Marketing Cheat Codes, that one-stop shop for content ops enlightenment. I am your co-host, Sam Chapman, content MC in residence here at Aprimo, joined as always by our chief marketing officer and show host, Ed Briel. Ed, who are we talking to today? We have a great one today, Randy Frisch. He is definitely a personal friend, I've known him for a long time, an author, chief evangelist, the prior CMO and co-founder at Uberflip, a content experience platform. And Randy actually pioneered a category in the content marketing space. He coined a phrase, what has evolved into a proper category called content experience. He saw that the content marketing category was resonating more with people who were closely aligned with the content creation stages. And he realized there was a gap in a demand for focus, solutions, and tools at the delivery stage for how content is experienced or at the glass moments. As a user of Uberflip from its very early days, I think at right on or around the Series A, uh, it's been amazing to, to watch them grow alongside the, the industry and, and the market. And I also think just for our audience where you know we talk about content operations, which really governs, I think, all of that, the content world. But we often say, you know, at a primo, there's no experience without content. And it's all, it's a story about the data behind it. Uh, we often talk about content 360, but this is why we, we talk so much about the orchestration of content creative all the way to that at the glass delivery, as you said, and really, you know, piecing these solutions together in your MarTech ecosystem so you can manage, measure, and monetize your content efforts. It's a great talk, um, certainly one of my favorites. Listen for how he took his physical world experience of stocking grocery shelves uh, to the digital world of merchandising content, which was a big inspiration for his company. Yeah, that's quite the journey. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this one too, so uh, let's not kill any more time here and get into it. Here we go. Randy Frisch, how are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Super excited to have you on Marketing Cheat Codes today. We tried to do it twice, but both our schedules were busy. But here you are. I got you trapped. And um, really excited to, to get it into your, uh, your world, you, the things you've done, the space you've carved out in this world, a category that you created, a book you wrote, um, I mean, you created stuff that people added to their their vernacular, their their um, their vocabulary. Um, mine as well, but I want to start here. Um, your coffee cup says "Hockey Dad." That does, yes. This Tell me a little bit. Kids. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about uh, that. When you're not when you're not writing books. Chief evangelist at Uberflip, founder, CMO, and uh, just generally industry influencer. What are you doing? Well, uh, they say never to time date any content, but I guess I'm going to do so right now because it is hockey playoffs for both of my kids right now. Uh, I've got uh, actually for two of my three kids because I have a daughter as well, and she's in dance competition now, which we could easily chat about for five minutes, but I don't have a mug about that. Uh, and I have a t-shirt, but not a mug. The, you know, the hockey stuff is so much fun. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm Canadian. So I'm playing into every stereotype you may want with me, but, uh, going and seeing my boys, uh, who are 
15 and 11 play hockey is way more exciting than watching my Toronto Maple Leafs do so, uh, even even when it is the playoffs. And uh, I, I love it. Uh, I get to coach one of them, uh, which is a ton of fun. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I think, you know, we could talk a lot about today marketing and, and the roles we have. And as you said, it's, we're always needing to reschedule because there's things thrown at us. But one of the things that I've always said is we need to also schedule in our families as much cool. as we have to schedule in our work. And if we don't, if we, if we don't schedule in our families, then like this podcast, it'll never happen. Um, keep, and keep the sacred. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there'll always be the exception, but you really have to try not to break those. So if if I've got a game for one of my kids and I'm in town, I'm there. I mean, nothing, nothing's keeping me away from there. And same thing with the dance competition, of course. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that's the way that everyone should try and not necessarily achieve balance because I don't think that exists, but I think it is this regimented scheduling in of the things that are priorities for you. That's awesome. Uh, I don't know if you remember that one time you butt dialed me and left a, a voicemail recording of you at your son's hockey practice. It was it was hilarious to get. I'm like <laughs> into it. I'm like, what's what's Randy want? And it was yeah, you were just yelling, you were cheering him on, and I it was awesome to hear the sounds of the ice and the stick and the skates and the yeah. I mean, it was a, I think it was a butt um, like voice memo, like one of those. Oh uh, yeah, this yeah. is an actual call, which made it even more just real and, and everything with that. But, you know, it's absolutely, I got to be careful with my butt, but uh, that's a whole other set of stories. So we'll, we'll stay away from today. <laughs> For sure. That's awesome. Yeah. So cool. Um, so yeah, let's, let's move back on your personal journey. Uh, you've created so much today. Uh, take me back to just start where, you know, your career started. And then I want to hit a pause on, I'll call it the the seed that was planted that created your company today and the spark of it. But let's go back on you, maybe even before that, uh, how your career arc started. Sure. I, I mean, the one thing that will always be consistent in my career is a love for marketing. Uh, you know, when I did school, I took every marketing class possible. Even when I went into my MBA, I signed up for all these finance courses and then I yeah. dropped them out for the first semester being like, no, I'm just going to do more marketing. Um, of course I had to do the base stuff, but I, I love marketing. I'm intrigued by different ways people think about it and approach it. And my first job, I thought actually that I was going to be a marketer because the the job title was field marketing rep, but it was in the consumer space. And, and what it ended up being was really sales. Um, I thought it was more marketing and that's why I was drawn to it. And I was actually going from Walmart store to Walmart store pulling stock onto the shelves. I was a representative for the Rubbermaid company. Uh, people know those totes and you know, yeah. sandwich containers and all that stuff. I made sure they were on your shelves at your local Walmart. Um, we we eventually called ourselves glorified stock boys. But uh, you know, I, I think anything where you're interacting with consumer behavior has an opportunity to learn it. I, I didn't realize that one in the moment. But later when I did get promoted into a real marketing roles and product marketing. I uh I had much yeah. better appreciation for what would work at store level um through that opportunity. And and I remind myself of, of that all the time because you know you fast forward to today and I, I know we'll hit on parts in between, but 
the more I get to talk to a customer, the more I understand what their challenges are, what works, if you will, in store, uh, you know, the, the more I can understand what we actually have to try and aim for at a higher level. So you are stocking product on shelves. Now you're stocking content on shelves yeah. and merchandising content for not just your brand Uberflip, but other organizations. You know, when I relaunched a Primo, used Uberflip and I'm like, we got to merchandise content and create value and, you know, put it at fingertips and hit moments of need with content. And um, I wonder if you ever go back on like the, the genesis of where you created, um, you know, Flipbooks and that idea, um, how it, um, you know, if that experience talking shells uh, was there too, you could at least relate to it and the interactions of humans with products, yeah, yeah. like sort of like that, that tangible tactile, um, you know, I, I don't know if I have a lot, but it, but I'm, I love analogies. First of all, anyone who's yeah. read my book, you refer to, you know, will know that very quickly in, in, um, you know, it's funny. I, I can still remember the, the, there it is. This book? The book. Exactly. That's the one. Um, got Ben page past the cover. It's great. That's what I say yes. to everyone. But, yeah. um, the, you know, the, the reality is I, I remember now back to the products that always flew off the shelves, the stuff people wanted. I actually remember the product code numbers. It was like a 2215 was a certain tote. Everyone <laughs> wanted a 2215. It was kind of like that blog post or ebook that was your crown jewel. It was like, you put it front and center. But as, as important as that was, my job was to get them to buy other products and surround the shelves, if you will, with other relatable <laughs> products that may be important as well. Uh, this is going way back. I can't remember. I even remember these terms, clip stripping. You ever walk down the, the hallways of a grocery store and there's stuff kind of hanging off the shelves? Those oh, are yeah. called a clip strip. They're usually very high margin products. Um, so we had a clip strip town sometimes. But to me, that was like you wanted to put a clip strip of sponges next to pots, even though that wasn't the same aisle inside of right. Walmart. Because that would get someone to buy. And I think as, as you asked the question, I'm, I'm thinking back to those days and I'm thinking that's what we've got to do now, right? No one comes in and says, I want this one piece of content. If you've got it, I'm going to buy from you, right? And even if they buy, if you will, engage in that asset, that doesn't mean that they're a customer for life. That doesn't mean that they're going to sign a contract with you or they're going to renew with you. It's important for us as marketers to really package everything someone needs and make it easy for them to go through their shopping behavior or their research behavior when it comes to content marketing and thought leadership and building that relationship with the company. So I'm going on the fly here. I've never thought of this analogy. Hopefully it's, hopefully it's working. Um, <laughs> I'm doing my best. Uh, yeah, it's, it, I mean, you created, uh, you know, the pots and the sponges we have to, as folks who create experiences, whether you're walking down the aisle or you're, you know, in a scroll or on a website, you are merchandising in a way that you want to keep the journey going and anticipate needs. The pot, you have a pot. Okay. You're going to want to clean that pot. So you need the sponges exactly. and associated products in that case, or associated content. Uh, and then it doesn't end. It's, it, it's a continuation. Every new 
uh, every end of uh, a content journey creates a, a start to it, another step in that content journey. And that's the way, sh that's the mindset we should be having. That's not give dead ends to uh, exp content experiences or mar marketing shouldn't end. It's um, getting back to the show, uh, marketing cheat codes in gaming, it's called the core loop. It's that thing that keeps people coming back to play the addictive game and um there's a core loop in marketing there's a core loop in merchandising content there is a core loop you were creating with the sponges on the clip strip i was gonna say that you would close the loop of this story so well and it's it's interesting i mean i i think back you were asking the origins of Uberflip, and yeah we started off over 10 years ago when we started the company the only solution we had was a way to serve PDFs in a more engaging format, right? And funny enough, 10 plus years ago, a whole bunch of venture guys told us the PDF is dead. It's got two years at most. You better think beyond this. So, yeah, <laughs> I mean, the PDF's not quite dead, but it's, you know, it's gone through, you know, a few different lives like a cat, I guess, in, in terms of adapting and how we use them. But it made us go and ask people what they wanted to serve up to buyers beyond PDFs. And it was interesting at first when we asked that, we, you know, the feedback we got from buyers, and this, remember, this is 10 plus years ago, was, you know, could you put a bunch of widgets around my PDF on the page? Like, could you have, you know, my latest tweets in one corner and maybe a link out to my YouTube channel on another and maybe my hottest blog post living below? And, uh -huh. and so V1 wireframe of Uberflip was basically, you had a PDF in the center of the page, you know, all strong and powerful, surrounded yes. by all these small little widgets. And we probably looked at that wireframe for like three, four days until we realized, wait, the problem is not, you know, surrounding the PDF. The problem is pulling together all the right content. And the reality was most marketers just couldn't do that. They had these widgets to link out to them. But what people were saying was, sometimes I want to surface a video next. Sometimes I want to surface a blog, but the problem with a lot of these content formats is they live in, in different locations, different channels. Our buyers don't want to jump around between different channels, especially once we've earned their attention. We need right. to serve up the right assets in a row, no different. And we'll, we'll jump analogies here too you know, to Spotify or Netflix in how you sit there and everything just simply feels curated to your personal interests. Yeah. I love that analogy. I mean, it's, it's now that end user experience of some of these, um, uh, like consumer applications in the B2B space. It's, it's the same, like we're still a human consuming experience and content. We want to have it in that same way. So love how you brought it there. And that that's an that's an awesome understanding of where sort of the the seed, the idea was 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 birthed to create Uberflip. Now, this concept of founder brand is always really interesting to me. I want to know, so you you founded Uberflip, you created a brand around it. What is that relationship that you have that probably nobody, well, a select few in this world will ever understand that you created something, maybe it's even as you know close or deep in your heart as like a child maybe, um, but uh, what is that 
founder brand relationship like? Um, how do you think about it, treat it, value it that maybe nobody will ever be able to understand, experience, or appreciate? Yeah, I mean, first off, you know, important to note, I, I co-founded this. I, I didn't do it on my own. And I think, yeah, so I've, I've got a, a second parent using your analogy. Uh, Yellows, yeah. You know, it was, it was definitely a, gr a great visionary from a product perspective. It was our CEO. And the two of us have worked together this this whole time on, on getting us where we are. And, and I think, you know, let's go back and, and weave in where my career is adapted. You know, as you know, Ed, I was a CMO here for a long time. And I eventually got to the point where we brought in someone else to lead marketing in the last year or so. And I've gone into a chief evangelist role. And, and to me, I think that's a good explanation of what it means when your brand reaches a point where you're ready for it to be just as much yours as everyone else's, right? To me, evangelism is not me getting out there and talking about how great Uberflip is. It's finding other evangelists who speak so well on what we do, right? People like yourself who speak very well to you know the importance of a content experience. People like, I was at a conference uh, very recently. I went on stage. I was allotted 30 minutes. Instead of taking the 30 minutes, I took about 13 of them and I brought up three of our customers who did, it was very cool. Instead of a panel, we did five minute Ted talks from each of them. So they went up and they used the same framework for talking through the importance of, of a content experience, how it weaves into their go-to-market strategy. And they all got up there and they used the exact same framework to walk through that. And all of a sudden, this isn't my brand to your question. This is their brand as well. This is their way of telling a story. And I think the more you can get people to relate to it, the more exciting it is. Now, don't get me wrong though. I cringe when I see someone start to like tweak the brand or tweak things in ways. I was on uh -huh. a, this truly happened this morning. I was on a call with a, uh, a prospect who's looking at our solution. And one of our sales reps has one of my framework slides but the colors were like completely different. Not only were they different, they were like so off brand. And I'm sitting there like, it's just killing me, right? You know, but but you go along with it and then you go back and you find ways to pull back to the brand and you loop in product marketing and things like that. And that's, I, I think the part we have to do, we, we kind of have to back to your question about your kid. You gotta let your kid go and kind of evolve in their own ways, but you gotta give them some guardrails, pull them back in sometimes and kind of, show them which way to go, but, but it yeah. does have to adapt and breathe on its own. Yeah. I have to imagine that you didn't always have that mindset. I maybe earlier in its journey, maybe your mindset changed over time and you had like a, a potential, like letting go, um, over time and that you realize that you can't scale and you need to sort of get the evangelism like lit up in the the hearts and minds of others to am to amplify the story. And then um, I'm sure that went through a whole maturing process. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think early on, it's very natural to almost over control because you have to set brand guidelines. You have to, and not just brand guidelines. I, I, I hope people can understand where I think you and I are both talking about this yeah. more broadly than just the brand, but also in our case, the category, what you mean in the market, 
Um, brand to me is not just your logo, it's your voice, it's, you know, people's understanding of you. You know, one of the things I always say is if you go onto someone's G2 reviews, right? G2 crowd or G2, I guess it's just yeah. G2 today. Sure. Um, yeah. Trust radius, whichever one. And do people consistently describe you the same way? Right? And if they're not, then you probably have a branding issue because people are describing you in their own ways. And, and there's a good degree of that, like we said, that's okay. But you want to try and have some sort of a consistent narrative so that someone coming in exploring understands the way they can relate to what you can provide. So there's there can be some flexibility in that, but you want some sort of parameters to work within. So and and it takes time to get there. I mean, when we were, you know, sub a million in revenue, even sub 10 million in re of revenue, we were yeah. still defining that. Um, I think it was only when we started to achieve true growth scale that we felt like there's enough of these uh advocates and evangelists and other people who are telling our story that you, as we said, you, you kind of have to let go of it and, and you have to embrace that um, because otherwise you're the only one out there talking okay. about this and it's not that real at that point. Yeah, that's, that is uh, a very wise way to think about this. And also I'm interested in your approach toward uh, category creation, um, this idea of content experience. I love that. Um, and you were pioneering it and like, then everybody else started talking about it. Um, content that the dimension that uh, around content is, it's really how it's experienced. What, when did you land on, you know, this thing is content experience? Cause there wasn't, it wasn't like with, with my business, like we have established categories out there. There's digital asset management for customer experience. There's marketing resource management. But you said there's a there's a sp an undefined space out there that I'm going to go in and category create in its content experience. Maybe you landed on it. I'm sure you went through, a, what is this thing called? What is the, the, the approach, the mindset or approach that it takes for someone to say, I'm going to go category, create, build, reinforce, and then, then have now, you know, it's, it's generally accepted. It's a generally accepted term. You did that. How did yeah. you bravery, of course, like strict strategy. Like when did you so realize that a great creation? And no one I mean, it yeah. looks nice <laughs> to have something yeah. and be like, that's us. Uh, yeah. but let me explain how it happened with us. And then, you know, maybe I can take it more broader for people who are listening, who aren't in our joint content world and, and trying to think about content or sorry, category creation within what they're trying to do. So it was an evolution with us. We, we kind of wished at the beginning that we could have just been a subset of content marketing or even be content marketing because 10 years ago, thanks to companies like HubSpot, we're talking about yeah. inbound, you know, Joe and Robert over at Content Marketing Institute. Like there was a lot of buzz about content yeah. creation. And we wanted that to be as connected to creation as it was the experience. So at first we tried to educate people, what is content marketing? The problem at the time was there was a lot of great solutions like a Primo, like the Caposts of the world, like 
the contentlies of the world that were more perhaps like content creation versus damn at the time. Yeah. That we're all seeing we're a really important part of content marketing. And there was a lot of funding going into that. And these platforms became tagged as content marketing platforms. At the time, we were the only one doing what we were doing. And we were trying to say, well, we're also a content marketing platform. And people would say, but can you do what they can do? And we'd say, well, no, because we come after what they do. After you create content, you got to focus on how that content is put out to the world, the experience that people have with it, how you put related content, all these things that today people associate with content experience. So we tried for a while to get that to resonate with people. And it just wasn't working, right? Because we always had to be compared. And as a result, in our evolution, we said, okay, well, we need a different different way to describe this now. We went through a lot of iterations before we landed on content experience internally. And, you know, even today, there's other people who use different terms, you know, within their businesses, but we're by far the biggest company in this space, you know, versus any, any of the competitors that, you know, we welcome. I mean, as I said before, if we're the only one talking about this, it's not real. So it's nice to have competitors in some ways, even though I hate them. Uh, but the... <laughs> The, the reality is, is we, we had to go through a learning curve of what people were focused on. And we also had to think a step beyond that and, and educate where that came from. Now, that takes me to category creation in general in realizing we had to have a category and all the different steps that are required under that. Awesome. That is brave. That is bold. And also what's bold is this, your book, you were, um, I want to go back. I don't, I think you remember, but you were passing through Chicago and somehow I found out, or I knew you were and texted you and I said, Hey, stop by my, my office. It was 230 West Monroe, downtown Chicago. You came in, we were catching up and, um, you said, Ed, I'm actually writing a book. And I want to get your take. You actually showed me some potential covers. And right. I saw this. I was like, dude, wow. Like brave and bold. And, you know, back to your statement around people get content marketing. They generally understood. But there's that experience layer that's like the real moment of truth that needs to be explored, discovered. And you had so much to talk about. And you said, I'm going to write a book about it. Tell me about. Yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, I never thought I'd write a book. I mean, that I, if you looked at my high school predictions, probably yeah, finishing <laughs> my books would have been a bold one. Uh, I, I wasn't <laughs> a big reader when I was younger, and uh, even today, I'm I'm I like to consume various formats of content. I like a good book, but uh, writing one was was not on my radar. The concept of a book to me though was important in creating a category. And, and I can hit on a whole bunch of things that are important from, you know, event and feel to, uh, you know, how you eventually strive to work with analysts, but maybe work through channels like G2. And, and we could talk about all these, but, you know, the, the idea of the book really came from a blog post that resonated so much with people. And the funny thing about the blog post that I, I hit on in the book right at the gate is. I, I wrote a, a blog post on a plane called fuck content marketing. Um, and I sent it over to my team being like, I know this is bold, but let's do it. And they <laughs> all wrote back. There's no way in the world. 
Uh, <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're like, this was my content marketing team who was like, yeah, what are you saying to us? You know, what are you saying to our buyers? Like, not yeah. that, you know, we sell to both demand gen, account based marketing, and content marketers kind of all yeah. together in committee at times. But they're like, you're going to alienate a third of our buying committee. Uh, and I was like, no, 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 just get past get past my headline and read the post. And and the it took them a long time to do that. It actually took them about three months until they agreed to publish this blog post. Uh, you know, just back and forth, like, let's tweak this, let's soften this. And I just kept being like, no, we're either publishing it the way I intended it, or, you know, if you think I'm wrong, then let's hold off and let's, let's let it sit. Anyways, you fast forward to the book, which is, you know, based on that and a lot of other content I had written over the years and, and a lot of research I did when I decided to do the actual book. When I went to determine what am we going to call this, I was not comfortable with fuck content marketing, but my entire marketing team was like, no, 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 no. we have to call it fuck content marketing. <laughs> <laughs> How has this gone three, six, like what is going on here? Yeah. It took a while. I was like, I have to show this to my kids. This is not going to fly. I'm not going to yeah. have that Marty McFly moment where he like opens the book and it's like, everyone's so proud. You know, like that's what I wanted. And, and they're like, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. People will get it. So as I said at the beginning, those who can get past the cover, I think will realize that my point in the book is not that content marketing is a bad thing. In fact, it's very much the conversation you and I had five minutes ago, which was content marketing just was being categorized purely as creation. And my point was there was no point in all that creation if the content wasn't going to get used. And in fact, content marketers, when they, when they saw this from me said, yeah, that's right. Like I, I get frustrated when I slave over a blog post or I slave over an ebook or an infographic. And then it, you know, it gets one share, um, and our sales team never leverages it. And it's not used at the stages of the journey that it, that I envisioned it being used at. It's kind of just lives on our blog and hopefully people find it. And, and the reality there was if you put more focus to that, uh, which is this, the subheading of the book and focus on that experience, great things can happen. And that's what I wanted to provide back to category creation was something that a content marketer could actually slam on their CMO's desk and just be like, this is what we got to be doing. Um, mm -hmm. and, the, and the nice thing is, is a lot of the feedback I've gotten has empowered people to think that way and, and approach not just content, but marketing, I think a lot more strategically. Absolutely. I also love in there what you said in some of the generation of this was a blog post turns into a book, turns into something that is used to drive change within organizations and just the power of using a blog to test content, to test ideas, to test thoughts, to get a market test going, to see how the world will react to it, to then do something bigger, invest larger in it, uh, just goes to show like a, like a strong scientific approach ish to um to content to content marketing can can turn into much bigger things yeah i agree with you and just to, to carry on that thought i mean there's you know we were talking earlier about brand i mean we all have to be careful with our brand we have to we have to push our brand but we have to be careful with our brand but there's a lot of channels that we can use to experiment with where our brand should or could go one of them is a blog post and creating one. And maybe it doesn't live on your brand site on day one, right? Maybe it lives on LinkedIn under 
your persona and you test it with your buyers. Maybe you introduce it to your customer advisory board outside of the general public, but inside of a safe group and get reaction. And once you start to be able to see is this resonating, then you can inject that into your brand's DNA and the fabric and the guidelines that you've set of saying, this is now allowed. But without a doubt, I agree with you. I'd like it. You've got to go and you got to try bold things and you've got to, you got to be careful to protect the brand, but you got to find places that you can experiment. Absolutely. Yeah. I can't say enough about you know, brand protection and things that we can, we can do to uh, ensure the, that we're keeping it uh, in check and under control. Uh, a lot of risk there associated with it. Um, and, you know, especially in t- now, like how, you know, the, the, the world today that we're living in, um, sort of the twists and turns that um, a lot of us have gone through in, over the last several years, the headwinds that we're pushing into right now, um, you, know, you, you know, brand protection, efficiencies, uh, risk uh, mitigation, et cetera, still having to be at, uh, at high levels of achievement as a marketing team. Um, what are some of your thoughts on um, some some things, some some a mindset, uh, some strategies, tactics in terms of marketing in uh, recessionary times, sure. where some priorities and are on um, you know priorities of transacting can be challenging. How should we be thinking about marketing in recessionary times? Yeah, listen, I I, I mean the. Le- Forget about the last 18 months, you know, which has been tough for a lot of businesses, but the last yeah. four or five years have, have been so many transitions and adaptations that we've had to go through. I don't have to rhyme them off. We all know what they are, what they've been. Yeah. I think it's forced marketing to mature in a lot of different ways. If you go back, let's even just say 10 years ago, the idea of growth when we talked about marketing was in itself becoming new. It was no longer just brand, which we've talked a lot about. It was now you're responsible for pipeline and opportunities. You have to work with salespeople. And that was a huge adaptation. I think where we've gone in the last 10 years, but maybe, as I said, accelerated in the last five, is nail marketing is responsible for the entire customer journey. I'm talking top of the funnel, middle of the funnel, bottom of the funnel, after funnel. Right? Yeah, we're we're now all responsible for customer marketing and everything that we need to do around that. And when you when you think about that responsibility and we pull it back to the role of content, you know, and both the content experience as well as the content operations that I know, you know, Primo does, you know, such great work around governance around, we need to very quickly be able to adapt and put the right thing forward. Now, if you think about it. You know, we went, if you will, from, as I described, like HubSpot telling us content's all about growth and inbound to, yeah. you know, then, then we hit a pandemic and content was literally being used in so many ways to re-educate people about how can we support you in these times? How do we interact with you? How do you approach our brand? How do you approach our company? That was a huge change in the role of content. But I think in that time, content became more important than ever. I, I remember speaking to a CMO of a travel company and and like instantly they had to change every blog post out there from like all the ways that you're going to travel to all the ways that you're going to be cautious uh, in terms of your yeah. travel. And that that was a huge change. And same thing happened with a lot of healthcare companies at Uberflip that we worked with, you know, who had to change the way they provided support of their medical devices. Um, it was a really interesting time. 
and I think if you look at where we are now, um, and whether you want to say we're in a recession or not, I think we're in a recession. Uh, right now, content has never been more important yet again. We have to get out there and we have to educate people how we can be there for them, why they need our platforms in some cases. That is all messaging. It's all delivered in content. It's all delivered in the right imagery. All these aspects deliver the right impression of our brand's ability to adapt to the times. So I remember I, I got up at our our kickoff, you know, internally, like, you know, a few months back. And I, I said to our team, I'm like, you know, you look at that evolution of content being first for growth, then for a pandemic, now for a recession. Like, I don't know if a zombie apocalypse is next, but if it is, <laughs> I guarantee content's yeah. going to be like key to it. Like people are going to be like, how do I support this? You know, our buyers through the zombies getting out of the ground, right? Like the last of us or whatever show you might be watching right now. And the, the reality there is, is like, no matter what's going to happen next, content is going to be key to reassure and help people understand how they can expect our company to respond to them and relate to them. That's awesome. There, there is a, a really strong playbook in everything that you just mentioned. Uh, yeah, I, I also agree. Uh, we are now ready for a zombie apocalypse and with all of this. Um, and let's be prepared for that. I think what we've gotten really good at is throw at us whatever you have next world, we'll be ready and prepared for it. Um, Absolutely. And, and listen, I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast have some sort of a content title, right? Um, yeah. You know, associated with their role uh, or just general marketing and marketing operations type of role. And, and I think, you know, like I said, you got to be able to go to your CMO and you got to justify the things that you're doing. And, and part of that is my view right now is interactions are very hard to come by. You know, people's purchasing behaviors have very much adapted. And the way I've said it to my team is we have to help people make those moments count right now because there's less of them and they're more selective in them. And as a result, when you think about what content is and where content lives, if you will, in every go-to-market action, it is what we're ultimately trying to get people to. Like, no one wants to click on ads, right? No one wants emails in their inbox. Like, we nope. don't, right? We kind of put up with all this stuff because the hope that if I click through to it, there's going to be something really relevant to me on the other end. In fact, the way people get you to do that is they deliver ads that are highly relevant. They're, they're tailored, they're personalized, they're retargeted. But if I can't deliver you to some sort of curated content experience on the other side of that, that's just as relevant with the right assets pulled from like an Aprimo, with the right content pulled from the Uberflip instance, you know, that reflects the brand and reflects the topic, then the person's just going to completely tune out. So I, I think what you have the opportunity to really be there saying is like right now, more than ever, we've got to make sure that we are relevant to what people have on their minds. And like that travel example I gave you, like the world right now is one where people have to be lean. So how do you operate in a lean way? How do we adjust our talk tracks to that? How do we all talk about making those moments count that we have with buyers? And I think that is just an adaptation of our content narrative tied back to our brand. Absolutely. Randy, dude, so much rich 
knowledge in everything that we just talked about that you explained love your origin story love the origin of uber flip category creation your book one thing i want to close on which i absolutely love talking about which is culture and how you create it and things like core values and i remember being at uber flips hq in Toronto and fall up on the wall. It was huge. It said hustle, you know, and it's a, an acronym. And I was like really inspired by that to find out what it meant. And for our listeners, can you explain how you got to that and what it means, how you pull that through into the business every day? Yeah. I, I mean, first off, I, I think culture always has to adapt. And, and just as we talked about the cycles we've gone to in the last five years, your your core values can adapt, your, your culture can adapt. Hustle's still very much in our DNA. Um, and and not this mentality of like, get it done today versus tomorrow. That's that's a part of it, but it's more the type of people that we want. So the, the acronym stands for heart, unique, skill, technology, lean, and entrepreneurial. And, and Yov and I, who I mentioned earlier, my co-founder, every time we interview someone who's going to join our team, we're we're kind of thinking like, do they have those qualities, right? The hard piece is like, you know, kind of our asshole test. Like we don't want to work with those types of people. <laughs> you know, we want our customers also to reach out to people who they they find caring. Um, and each of those words without taking you through them all now, you know, have have a lot of meaning. And we we more than anything, and, and as, our, as I said, core values adapt. We want our core values to guide business decisions on a day-to-day basis. Um, you know, so another one, which which is also an acronym, I, I promise we only have two acronym uh, values, but yeah. is, is the idea of love. And, and it's spelled L-U-V. Uh, we play a lot with the U, given Uber Flip. If you've ever seen our logo, it's quite happy. Um, but the, the, the love there is how we think about interacting with our customers and our employees. And on that front, it, it stands for listen, understand, and value. Um, and that is really, I think, the key that we need to be doing, even as as content marketers listening to this, is you know take time to actually listen to what people are saying to you. Um, once you've listened, then the understanding is is really working internally to understand what do we have to do as a result of that, and in turn, how do we deliver value back to what someone's asking us for? Um, and we think about that, as I said, both with our customers, and we also think about that with our our team members. And that really, as I said, it helps us adapt and helps us to move forward. I love that. I mean, that's setting culture on the inside of the four walls of the organization and culture on the outside of the organization. Um, I, and it's a very uniting uh, framework for creating the culture that's going to drive the, um, the objectives of the org. Randy, we're going to put some links into the show notes on this. There's so much stuff that you've produced over the years. And um, where can folks, I'm sure everybody can Google you and, and you're going to show up right now, but where? how can folks follow along with what you're doing? Um, you've got an awesome podcast as well. Uh, how can they keep up with you? I, I mean, you've, you've hit on so much of it. I'm, I'm overwhelmed myself where to click next. Uh, <laughs> but uh I, th- I think since people have probably listened to this on Spotify or Apple or whatever it is, I mean, The Marketer's Journey is is my podcast. I get to 
to chat with the CMO all the time. Ed, you're going to be on my next season. Uh, so they're going to have wait. to wait a bit for that, but we've, we've got it scheduled. Uh, and I, I think, you know, check me out there, follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, those are some great places. And then if you're curious about Uberflip and how it can help, uh, go to uberflip.com. Rock and roll. Randy, thank you so much. Thanks, Ed. This is always fun. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today for another episode of Marketing Cheat Codes. I want to thank our guests for their time and everyone out there in a primo land for listening. This episode was written, mixed, and produced by Glenn McManus. Our associate producer is Noah Horberg. Our production coordinator is Izzy Herbst. And our creative director is Sonny Okamoto. Our series is hosted by Ed Brielt. And I'm your co-host, Sam Chapman. If you like what you're hearing, please rate us or review us everywhere you listen to podcasts and be sure to keep the conversation going by following us on LinkedIn and Twitter. If you have a topic you'd like to hear us discuss or want to be a guest, head on over to the URL in the episode description and drop us a line. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.